0: Very thankful for my children. I don't like to blame things on my kids, but there's this peculiar phenomenon phenomena where they seem to hate me until it's time. I'm time late running out the door, and then they love me and never want to see me go. And like, won't well, hold on to me and never want to let me go. And I'm like, Gu- guys, you're confusing me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this feels kind of abusive. You don't want me until I'm leaving. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Welcome back to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think. I almost said, welcome back to the Wheel of Time, but that's not quite correct. Although, in a sense, yes, because we're still talking about the Wheel of Time show. My name is Moses. Here with Matt. Here with Aaron. It's fun. And... Uh, we are revisiting kind of the fun entertainment challenge of looking at the show that's on Prime and wondering, well, I'm wondering, does the show stand up on its own as its own thing? Or we could say, is the show any good on its own? Uh, And so comparing experiences from me who has not read the books or played the game or has any exposure to the world with my two friends and colleagues who are experts in this world and have been in it quite a bit more than me. So, with that, uh, we are back for the next two episodes. And yes, Matt, Aaron, what did you think of these two episodes? How did they compare to comparable chapters
1: in the books? I uh, So I like the episodes. I think one of the things that's standing out to me from the episodes is the challenge of trying to condense material and make it still true to the storyline. And I think they did it really well um, in this episode in a couple instances. So one, we see uh, Tom Marilyn finally gets introduced and he gets introduced in a very similar fashion to uh, how he's actually introduced in the books, but it's at a different time frame, It's in a different way. And he still serves the purpose he does in the books as kind of this, Oh, mysterious bard like figure that also has some type of uh, skills and knowledge about him that's more than who he actually is. We also see the introduction of the ael, which is uh super interesting, and the introduction of the Tuatha, the the um, uh, the people who follow the way of the leaf. Um, and so I thought all of that was done um, very well, as well as kind of telling a bit of low gain story and getting that uh, glimpse into where he came from. So I thought that was, I thought the, the, it, at them kind of editing the story and then still trying to keep it true to form was pretty well done in these two episodes.
0: I felt that they're here. So here just enjoying the show and, and not something not knowing a whole bunch of the context. Uh, I, I enjoyed these quite a bit. Um, Cause I know it's, it's hit like the, like the fun and game stage where just, Hey, here's these characters on action Action mode, I know them a little better, so they care a little bit more. And so just seeing that, oh, yeah, now they're going into a city. Now they're going into a new village. Oh, now Matt's becoming a werewolf. That's cool. So <laughs> it kind of worked. Oh, and we get more of Loghain. He He's not just like a one-episode wonder. Okay, that's that's good to know. <laughs> but anyway, that's cool. Uh, Aaron, what do you think?
2: Oh, man. Well, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think I I cried on one spot. Not because I was tired watching it this morning, but it, it really impacted me. I don't know why, but it, it was the scene where Loghain and the Aes Sedai were fighting, and I, I just I, I was crying. I think it was because I, I enjoyed the dynamics of it. Um, shielding is a is a very you know it's a part of the game that I play. So like you know shielding each other is a very impactful thing. Gentling is an impactful thing. Uh, I cried when he cried because when when you gentle the the male uh channeler, you know, he he lost the sense of himself, and a lot of times they'll will, will commit suicide or die because it's such a intricate part of their life, and so they really hit that well. When you know, most people think when you're a villain, you lose your power. Like, nah, you know, you're all like frustrated. But he's like, he cried. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel for you, man. But considering that I've read the books maybe 20 years ago, um, and I completely forgot a lot of these details. Standalone, these episodes are really fun for me to watch. Um, only because I know the concepts and they were bringing them in really well. Like he's talking about the IL. Um, I call them ales my entire life, but apparently that's how you say it. And then the the Tinkers um, came in, and so uh, fun fact, they're actually the Tinkers and the IL are actually um, descendants of each other. And so it's really interesting how one side are so battle driven, the IL, and they're redheaded, and that's a very um, part of the uh, the prophecy. Uh, that's why I'm like hmm, it's obvious who's Dragon Reborn if you clearly read the books. But the I.L., is it's, uh, you know, it, 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 they're always a mysterious part of the story. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, even discovering the bond, the, the, the warders, um, how that worked together. So uh, I look forward to the other episodes. Great. Oh, I have to say, uh, did anybody else notice, are these, the, the songs they're singing in the old tongue Uh, in the background music and i i I thought they were doing that in the first episodes but i'm like did they create songs out of the old tongue and then they kind of play it because that would be really cool because they introduced the old tongue more in this last episode and uh that excites me
0: i I confess I, i was not paying that close attention but that would that would be a really cool detail if we should discover that to be so
1: I, I didn't notice that. I did think that um, Nynaeve and Land's interaction over the Old Tongue and the, the um, words that she spoke give us a cool hint into Manethrin. And Manethrin going to play a huge part as far as the two rivers and the two rivers folks and their blood. It goes back to what Moraine says kind of at the beginning. And she says uh, the old blood is strong here. And she's talking about the ancient kingdom Manethrin. And the two rivers folks are just going to be rad later on, too. I really,
0: I really enjoyed that interaction, both again, seeing more of Neneve's character coming out in her history, but even just like the different experiences that she and Lan brings to it, like, like she has this gem of a tradition of a language that is like precious to her, but she doesn't necessarily know why or what it is, whereas Lan has all of the context and understands all of it. And I'm not to say he doesn't appreciate it, but it just, you know, it, he's not coming at the language from a place of scarcity. And I don't know that there's, there's some fun chemistry there, which apparently develops into other fun chemistry and other places too. You know, characters and drama, it's good.
1: I think also one of the pieces with Naive that I really enjoyed from this, um, this kind of two is that we get the, the hint into her power. And it's one of the huge things in the book is she's such a powerful Aes Sedai. Um, and she's considered kind of a feral. They call them wilders, essentially like these untrained magic channelers. And the eyesight, I really look down on them and exclude them and think that they're dangerous at worst and ignorant at best. But we're starting to see the first glimpse here where she is such a powerful Chandler that they have to kind of reckon with her on some level. And I I love that element of Nynaeve's character. Really excited to see them develop that more.
0: That was really cool. Yeah, they uh, they. There's a, a sim- similar world building element in the in in K. Jameson's Broken Earth trilogy where, uh, you know, spoiler, like the the, the main protagonist hero is uh, is a feral in in her in her abilities, uh, and then she ends up being like the
1: bomb, in the best sense. She's not fully feral because she was she was Fulcrum trained. She was, but She's a... had feral origins. So that's true. Know. That's true. Yeah. That's or, a good series too. We could do it. right. When that TV show comes out, we'll do that one also.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, yes, Nynaeve has lots of power. And that was that was a pretty fun scene, uh, where she just like, blah and like all the white lights, and that was cool. I didn't cry, but I replayed that one a couple of times because it was cool. <laughs> well,
2: it was like that was the first time her talent was shown. Um and I think the I think part of the books is saying when you when a Wilder channels that first thing, that's what they're really Talented and and good at is that natural weave, and so it was a foreshadowing of wow, she's probably going to be a really good healer. Ooh, <laughs> so that's that was cool. All
0: right, and that was what like the Amazon Prime episode notes also said too. What the, so what what I love though is so this there's this moment where she has this cool special effects power coming out in time of stress, like the X Men mutants. That was fun too. What I love about her is that this isn't the first sign of like competency we've seen in her. Like we've already seen, she's already very capable. She's good with herb. She's good with knives. She's good with you know, teaching and mentoring. So she's already like strong. And so like not needing this magic stuff to like make her special because she's already special. And that's been set up super, super well, I
1: think. And her tracking and that she's like the match for land which is super cool. Like that point where, um, uh, the warders are all sitting around and Naive says she'd track land and the rest of the warders give him a look like seriously that, I mean, and it, it just that, that they're setting up that she's such the match for land, which is so well done. It's, it's phenomenal. Love it. Mm-hmm.
0: That is really cool. Since
1: we're, since we're hearing characters a little bit. So
0: here's where there's already been like the breaking of the fellowship <laughs> in a sense. So everybody's, there's like four different plots going on now, uh, three or four. What are some observations, thoughts on the other kids and how they're developing? And how do that, How does that compare it to the books and everything?
2: I, I was thinking of the scene or the plot line of Matt and Rand. And at first I thought, are they in Barlon? Uh, I know that's west of Shadar Logoth. Because in my mind, I have this huge map because I'm so intimate with the, the, the actual cities and where things are. That I am seeing how pretty close they are to the actual uh, the books and the maps, so it's really fun when they do hint at different places. So, but I'm not sure what town. Some minor town It's cool seeing the stubbornness of Rand kind of grow a little bit more because he is kind of a one dimensional character right now. And maybe they did that on purpose because there's a part where Matt's like, "Oh, you're a funny guy now, huh? You're making jokes. You're not a you're not this cardboard character." And he's like, "Yeah, you know." So it's it's kind of showing, oh, he, he might have some depth Especially in the scene when the the barmaid's trying to kiss him, and he's like, "No, yeah, I'm a I'm in a monogamous relationship." But, you know, yeah, right. This guy's, you know, but it was, it was, <laughs> yeah, for now. But it, it's interesting to see that how you know, I'm, there's someone out there, and the, this this kind of some romancing going on. But I liked, I love seeing Matt's uh, development of the uh, you know, there's darkness coming on, there's the fade coming on, there's the dark friend which is cool where, you know, the gleeman Tom came by. She's a dark fan. You must kill her instantly. Her soul is, is bound. There's no, there's no sympathy for her. She must die. It's like, wow, that's, that's a harsh world. And seeing Matt, you know, you thought he's a werewolf, but uh spoiler alert, that Ruby dagger, it, it it's kind of like, kinda, Matt, do you think it's kind of like the one ring? It kind of draws the shadow but it also, it taints you at the same time.
1: It, it's cursed. It's carrying the, the taint of Shadow Logoth outside of Shadow Logoth. And it, it's the same thing. Great power, but also great taint.
0: Great power, great responsibility, yeah, so great it, taint.
1: Yeah. Comes with great responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's cool seeing that development happen. Uh, I had completely forgot about the tinker, the Tuathalon Aram. I really, uh, I'm glad they brought him in. I liked his characterization. He's both charming and creepy. And you're like, okay, that fits Aaron perfectly um, as far as they present him in the books. I think my favorite character over this period was Perrin. I think they've really got Perrin down as he's he's kind of quiet. He seems very brooding and into himself and and... Even slow to react at times, but he's kind of like this avalanche that, like, once he builds and gets going, like you can't stop him. I've I've very much enjoyed. I think they have Perrin perfectly cast, and the the actor that's playing I I forget his name at the moment, but the actor that's playing Perrin is doing excellent. I also appreciate Egwene at the moment because. She's lost a little bit of that, of that like confidence and certainty that she had in the two rivers, which is very true to the character arc. And I look forward to the um, redemption arc that's going to come from that as she builds back into this very confident, capable character that she's going to become. So those characters really stood out to me. And, and just like Aaron said, I think um, Matt's storyline is super cool at the moment. I'm very much enjoying it. They're doing it very well. And I like that he's kind of seeming really kind of slimy and dark a little, but also you're like, Oh, maybe he's still a good guy where he has the interaction with the little girl. She gives him the doll. Then you're like, did he kill their family? And you're like, what's going on? And then this fade appears and you're like, Oh, it wasn't Matt. Thank God. But you're still like, I can kind of see Matt doing some stuff like that at the moment. So yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely appreciating him. And Yeah, there's a there's a really for me, he feels like the most complex character right now because, yeah, he has these really tender moments of like he's really tender toward little kids and, you know, kind of like hits on women a lot of the time. And like he and Rand butt heads a whole bunch and he's like really stubborn, you know, and, you know, kind of loyal to his friends until he thinks that they're dead. And also, you know, he seems like he's he's I mean, he's got his impulse control problems, you know, like he can't resist a good lift uh and and everything but also seems able to like really think deeply about things. Uh one of my favorite interactions with him was when he and Tom are bearing the the IL or or talking over that and you know he just has to come out and be like yeah I'm a thief and I'm here to here to steal stuff and and Tom's like yeah thanks for being honest with me essentially and 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 that and then that, that happens but yeah seeing uh and I guess Part of what I like that it's it's not not specifically like the fall of a character or the corruption of a character as much as the like like the struggle with it. He seems like he's being set up really well to depict an inner struggle or, or an outer struggle too. But just you know, he's got this taint and this darkness following him, and he's going to have to you know really wrestle through that. And you, I mean, you can see that with some of the others. I mean, you can kind of see that a little bit with Rand already because I mean, he's got his own like hot-headed emotional issues, and I guess he's got the madness that's going to come at some point. That feels depicted most strongly in mass character for me right now, which I like. I enjoy that. Uh, You know, going back to just, like, kind of the the visual details for a little bit, I mean, there's there's a part of me that teases it because it's like, oh, it's like Middle-earth all over again. But then again, there's a reason we go to Middle-earth and places like that because we like them. They're cool. And these big, epic, wide-open spaces and Stark Mountains, I mean... They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And they, they just speak of adventure. So I guess I mean there's a reason
1: we can go to these sorts of places over and over. And they're still cool. I thought um, the CGI is pretty impressive for me. Um, when we're going to Loghain's backstory and it's kind of flying over the castle that's on fire. And then you're like, you're looking top down as the king is running from Loghain. It's like, oh, it's beautiful. And then you also have... Uh, Matt and Rand, I think that it looked like decomposed granite that they were kind of walking along up in these hills. And it was like, oh, this just looks rad. I want to go, you know, have a picnic up there. I, I think it was visually stunning. Loved it. Absolutely.
2: It was beautiful. I, I love the, again, the battle systems. Um, again, I'm thinking about the weaves very visually appealing for me. I'm like, oh yeah, hammer of air or something like that. You know, hitting the, hitting the Logans army. Um, and even just the whole scene of the power struggle of shielding, um, seeing, uh, the red Aja almost, uh, over channel, um, over channeling is a huge thing about, you know, burning out. It's not like, um, I guess other magic systems where it's like, Oh, I used all my spell points. I'm going to go rest now. It's like, you can, you can tap in beyond what you have and over channel, but you're very dangerously just burning out where you never have access to that source again. So, uh, visually appealing just the struggle and the emotional bond, even just how uh the emotion of the the bond between the water and the Isa die, how they're saying it's it's closer than a brother is closer than a lover, and that for me was was they're they're catching it. I'm getting pretty hooked to um the
0: show now. I would agree, Aaron. I have been enjoying watching the the Aes Sedai and the warden and and their wardens culture develop. And it was really great to see here. here's a camp of them and how they interact and, you know, kind of like, you know, some of the drama between Red and Green was hinting at some of those political systems you were, you were talking about. The, the depth of it, I think, was really captured when they're talking about how, you know, Moraine's bemoaning the fact that she lost the kids, which, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, worst babysitter ever. These are like the four dragon candidates and you lost them. Uh, anyway, I'm um, being silly, but you know, she says she lost him and Lon says, no, it was me. But then she says, you know, your losses are mine and mine are yours. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that both captures a lot of like what their, their bond is. And also it's like, hey, I mean, it's a really great like relationship structure model to just own each other's stuff and be with each other to that degree. Uh, I mean, it's hugely risky because your partner might, you know, lose the dragon. But um, but I don't know. There There's a implicit trust there. Uh, even when they disagree over stuff, and it's it's kind of kind of refreshing, kind of exciting. Let's see other other fun quotes quotes. So so at one point, Tom says, "Nothing is more dangerous than a man who knows the past," which I loved. So in real time, so we're um, finishing up reading 1984 for uh, other other episodes, and that's been like a huge element of that story. That's been really powerful. Is you know why we need our stories and what happens when we lose our story, and and I'm, I'm appreciating. The depth of history in the wheel of time world and how those who know it seem like they have kind of an edge on everybody
1: this is a huge theme in the wheel of time is is that the past is lost and that knowledge of the past is like a hard to obtain again but very powerful so one of the things that we're going to see is that um the aes Sedai that are currently uh in power are way less powerful than aes Sedai from the past and they've lost a lot of the knowledge that Aes, Aes have in the past. Things like being able to travel, which will come up in the future here. And uh, the making of Angrials, specifically Tyre Angrials, Saw stuff like that. So it, there's all this knowledge that's lost from the past. And I think Robert Jordan, in writing these books, one of the things that he eventually discloses is that the Wheel of Time world is actually our world, like 15 or 20,000 years in the future. And so uh, it, it's meant to be a, a future take on our world that has spun out of control. And the, the age of legends sometimes is talked about as our time or a time that's still like 10,000 years to the future of us. So very interesting that the past has been completely lost and you're talking about it. It's a huge name in the books.
0: That is super interesting. Which again, I'm, I'm thinking again about, you know, Broken Earth also where there, there's a feel of where like, it might be Earth, like so far in the future that it's just a completely different world and but like with just like a couple of remnants so yeah that that is that is really interesting so let me let me use that as a little bit of a segue into some of the more thematic material of what's going on so talking about time and history and ages so one of the oft-repeated themes that they, they talk about is the wheel itself the the wheel keeps on spinning and keeps on spinning and they'll often talk about the wheel brings things. And I'm not like a philosophy or world religions, you know, expert or anything, but it, but it, but it, it seems like the overarching worldview is really centered on this idea of cycles. There's this idea of reincarnation, at least for the dragon. There's this kind of cyclic nature, or the, they, they see things as having a very cyclic nature. I, I really loved the, the way of the leaf and how that was explained and depicted a little bit circle of life-ish now to Mufasa but, but, but I mean that the that, that whole idea of life leads to death leads to more life leads to more death in its various stages and it just kind of kind of goes kind of goes I don't know what, what else do you guys see as inform as part of that worldview or how how else is that worldview articulated here
1: it it hasn't come up a whole lot yet, but what we'll see is I'm hoping by the end of this first season we'll get to the Horn of Valir, and in the Horn of Valir, what the horn does is it calls back these heroes from ages past. One of the themes that'll be explored in that is these heroes are never completely lost; they keep getting reincarnated into lives as different people, and then living these um, kind of spectacular lives. And so there is definitely this theme that. Um, People are never lost. They kind of go to this, uh, I forget if it's like a specific place, at least Burgitta, whenever she dies, she is aware of herself in this other place and can be called back by the Horn of Valera. But whenever she gets reincarnated as another iteration of herself, she forgets all her memories and the whole sense of herself. So is, there is this theme- theme that things repeat and keep happening the same way now the, the existential threat that the dark one provides is he's going to undo the wheel and people won't there will be no more weaving so this wheel weaving will, will no longer weave this tapestry of, of reality or uh, coherent narrative it will just be chaos and so it's even broken into the existential threat of, threat of what the, the dark one's going to do
2: it made me think of a new concept. I haven't thought of it's, There's a real presence of darkness and, and you know, the dark one and how the boar was created and all this different thing, the taint. The, and then I think of, okay, usually a yin yang idea of dualism is that there's this really dark presence. And then there's this really light presence, but the only mention of light is kind of like, you know, walk in the light or be in the light. And then there's this entity of the wheel, which is a very, it's, it's, it's a non-personal thing, you know, um, it was hinted you know the wheel doesn't want anything and Logan's like what do you want you know it's, it's kind of a cool thing and even just how this cycle of reincarnation are being woven back into um life again you know seeing even the different perspectives of how that dark trend was like the dragon's here to save us we need to stop uh the recycling of the wheel that the dark one's actually the good one and so different Depending on your, your perspective, the dragon actually will come to break the world, which is a good thing, or save the world. And so there, this is a sense of morality that's even being hinted at in the show, which is pretty good. It's like, what is right? <laughs> what is wrong? Is the cycling over and over a good thing? Or should it be broken? Should it be halted? So that was cool. And and seeing like you know the thousands of years, or even when Logan's like the, the thousands of dragons before me is helping me learn to... Fulfill this 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 cosmic battle of destiny, you know, which is um, it, it's it makes you feel like life doesn't end as soon as you die. It's like you're in your uh, you're in the respawn point, you know, the horn of the the horn. Uh, there's hunters of the horns that come later on, so it's really cool seeing how they're all melding together.
0: That is really neat. And thinking. It's, I mean, so the dragon is it's an interesting character, you know, someone who could break or bind the world. And and I'm finding it interesting that they're using the term bind rather than, like, you know, fix or heal. And I'm sure that is a significant, you know, inside joke historical reference for any um, Bible Study methods listeners out there is thinking about like, oh, yeah, Logan, he could hapak everything, if anybody understands that reference. Anyway, get destroyed or overturned, it. it's a Hebrew word. I'm going to blame yeah. Lubeck, although it was, <laughs> that was great. So yeah, I was th- I was thinking I was thinking about this in terms of dualism, where yeah, the the wheel it is fairly impersonal, and be interesting to see yeah, there's there's a really powerful line like the wheel doesn't want people want, and you know, and th- there's these characters asking each other, well, what do you want? And I do you get the sense that the wheel can be manipulated like kind of in the way in the the sense of like, like ancient idolatry where people would do these sacrifices and do these rituals to try to manipulate and control their gods. Or is it more of like, this is an impersonal force more like like, like the star Wars force where like we just have to like be kind of focused and like access it. And then it's just whatever we do with it determines if it's like light or dark, or is it more of like it's this force that nobody can stand up against and we just have to like try to flow with it. But really, nobody has any
1: control of anything. I hadn't thought too deeply about the the wheel. But even so, it is presented as an impersonal force. But, but what the same people keep saying is the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Impersonal forces don't will. And so there's a little bit of contradiction there in that to have a will, you must be a personal force. The other piece, as far as your question of whether or not people can affect the wheel, that is uh, people can affect the wheel in the book. So specifically, Ran, Matt, and Perrin are Taviran, and they shape the weaving of the wheel around their actions. And so they're presented as people that kind of stand outside of the wheels weaving and actually manipulate or control how the wheel, wheel weaves. Um, and so th- there seems to be some type of impact they can have, but at, at least from the kind of perspective of the the series as a whole, most people don't have an impact over our, the weaving of the wheel.
2: Yeah, it's like in fact they get caught up in the wheel. I think it's they say if a tavern passes through your town, like ten people get married. You know, so <laughs> there's there's an indirect wake or catalyst force. It's not like, oh, I'm going to use the, the wheel to get me a free drink of beer or something. It's just it, it happens almost without them knowing.
1: With the, there has to be balance, though. So um, if a Taviran goes, goes through a town and, and, and uh, 10 people get married um, in another town, they'll go through it and uh, 10 babies will die. And so there's a sense of balance. So um, there's always going to be, for all the positive events, there's always going to be a bunch of negative events. And this will be one of the huge things that happens with Rand later on that I hope they explore, is that in some areas he's a massive blessing, in other areas he's a massive curse. And, and um, there has to be balance all the way through. So um, uh, there, there's going to be both life and death, and both have to uh, coincide at the same time. And I, I think th- th- there's a piece to this that's very true to life that really resonates with me. Uh, I, I sit with clients in in pain and suffering and um, also um, uh, share in the joys of children growing up and graduating and, and the births and marriages. And all of those are always happening at the same time. That is a really
0: powerful balance. And, and yeah, I mean... I- I'm right, I'm right there with you, watching people in their pain and in their suffering and in like the just like the awful things that they do to each other. But then also in like the really the moments of like peace and tenderness and when they are really able to like be be mindful and be present and and overcome something. And having having that range of experience, uh it's it's interesting and it can be exciting and kind of challenging. What it kind of means is that, you know, we can't see the world as just this black or white thing or things are just one way. And it does mean we we often have to hold like these really vastly differing, contradictory experiences like all of this true together, which can be challenging sometimes because uh, it, it takes it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of you know in, internal spaciousness. So so one, so one, one of the things I was wondering too. So in how how they understand their worldview for now, and I know we're early on in it. Um, I don't I, know, I don't know that we've seen presence of like specifically like mm, like like religion, religious practice necessarily there's very much that, uh, although they might've referenced something and I just kind of missed it. But would you say that there is a pure evil and a pure good presence in the world? Like, 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 are there like, are there specific God and devil figures or is it more just like, well, there's a dragon, he's pretty bad, but he's also could be kind of good. And, you know, here's like, you know, the people who, you know, follow the light and they're mostly good, but they could be corrupted too. Or,
2: my my opinion, maybe Matt differs, but I think there's a clear line of, of good and evil, but also a a blending as well that, that gets caught up. Because being a dark friend is all about appearing good, but you're actually like wolves in sheep clothing. And um, a, a dark friend will do certain things to appeal the favor of, uh, of the dark one. And so it was actually cool to see the hint of, I found the next Dragon Reborn. The last time someone brought in the Dragon Reborn, he was Ishmael he became one of the, um, and that's the foreshadowing of one of the forsaken, one of the chosen that gets promoted and, and almost, almost re remorded or reborn in a sense of power of favor of the dark. So um, the, you know, the dreams of the eyeless ones, uh, um, it, it's clearly evil. It's not like, Oh, maybe there's some sympathy for this fade. You know, it's like, no, nope, they're, they're pretty bad. But I, I think they did a good job on the tinkers that they hinted at. And again, if you read the book, you kind of get a, Feeling, but there was a part where, you know, the Tinkers are looking for the song. They're, they're looking for um world peace, in a sense. And they're so pacifist that if their life is threatened, they're different from the Ayas die that when their life is threatened, they can kill someone. But if for them, they go, we will lay our life down and just die. The, the best revenge for death is life. And so there's a sense of almost like they found this inner peace. And there was a question while they're dancing, I think, to Aram was, have you don't you think you found the song now? And it it shows them laughing and dancing and they're, they're, they're happy. They, They found their way. And I think that was a cool sense of, Oh, maybe they did. Fun fact. I think the, the, the song is, um, is a really cool concept. The way of the leaf is a really cool concept because ogiers, am I saying their name right? Later on, there's, there's some that are called tree singers and tree singers. Uh, they sing into nature, into wood to shape the, and, and grow it. And it's a really cool concept that singing comes along. You know, you have bards, you have the, you have the gleeman, you have the tree singers, you have the song and how the song is supposed to, you know, heal in a sense. And the song even comes into the dragon reborn. It comes into the old dragon reborn, lose there and uh, supposedly maybe even teaching the song to, to the next dragon reborn. So, so those are some hints as well. Of like, but it, it's, it's like, that thing is, it's going to bring healing it's going to bring good it's going to be peace and stability and then you have this dark disruption of i will kill you <laughs> and i think that's pretty wrong
0: i mean i really love the contrast there of like the way of the leaf and the ice of die, where like how they approach violence and how they approach evil because it like none n- neither of them they're both they're both aware of it and not hiding from it but there's yeah there's a sense of like evil is out there and I'm scared or I'm insecure or also power hungry. So I need to fight it versus this other sense of, yeah, there's evil out there and I'm okay. I'm so okay that I don't have to fight it. And I know maybe that was like, that might've been like the most like Orthodox nugget <laughs> to pull out of it. This sense of, you know, focus on your own inner peace, you know, first and, and foremost. And and somehow in that, like others will be saved around you. Uh, you know, in this story it's kind of depicted as like, Oh yeah, here's this, caravan of people who have found their inner peace and they become a refuge for uh, Egwene and Perrin. And, and then, and then those two characters are impacted by that too. But yeah, it was a, it was a good, good contrast. Uh, what were you thinking, Matt? I cut you off.
1: The, The, if we if I go back to the question that you'd asked, is there pure evil and is there good? I think that there is evil in, I mean, exactly what Aaron said, there, there's there's evil there. That We have the dark one, we have the dark friends, we have the Fades, we have the trollocs. There's no question this is evil. Um, as far as is there pure good? I think no. I think we always get hints that... Uh things are funky, and, like Aaron said, um things present as good that aren't actually good. so the children of the light, in contrast to the dark ones, the children of the light are like these horribly self righteous murderers, and they're totally infected with um uh, uh dark friends uh we have the Aes Sedai who are this kind of they 're in the white tower. And yet, what we're d- going to discover is they're they're uh, filled with infighting and bickering, and they're even though they say they're removed from the world, they're very power hungry and they're struggling. The dragon reborn—he's either going to be someone that helps save everything, or he destroys everything. And there, so, there's no like true good light. There's always it's it, the, like this duality to it, and um, uh, um, mixed with it as far as the on the, the Tinkers, like Aaron had hinted, so they originally served the Aesid, Aes Sedai, and then in the breaking of the world, they no longer serve the Aes Sedai, and they go into the wastes kind of as an exile, and some of their number eventually pick up swords to defend themselves, and they they become the Aeol. And so the the Tinkers and the Aeol are the same kind of people, and I think... I think actually Robert Jordan has a criticism of um, kind of the pacifist mindset in that the Tuathan kind of get destroyed, um, and the Aiel are ones that are fighting to save the world in the kind of last battle and are part of the the saviors there. So I think as as Robert Jordan was exploring this concept, he I think he his his if I had to put his thoughts into a statement would say pacifism works, um, when the world is generally at peace, when things fall apart, it doesn't. And I, I, whether or not that's a valid concept, um, is up for debate, but I think that's what he would say.
0: He might, but he's dead. So we can't ask,
1: but I, <laughs>
0: uh, no, no, and I could see that. I mean, and I've heard that critique of some other different, uh, you know, political systems too, like they, you know, they might work, you know, on a smaller scale, or they might work within this other belief system, but try to when they're they when people try to apply them broadly, they, 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 they crumble, or they're just not able to account for all of the variables. We, and your, your question of like, could, could, could pacifism work? So, uh, or how do you say it, the, too often the tinkers? Yeah. Yeah. Is Robert Jordan criticizing them? I don't know. Like, so would pacifism work against the face of such evil? Hard to say. And again, I'm thinking back to you know my reference point as the the early church martyrs and the the martyrs and saints throughout you know the the Orthodox Church. Who you know, I mean, there were there were some some soldier saints, but by and large, like a lot a lot of the saints, they were they were martyrs, they were monastics, they were they, they were bishops, they were clergy, they were nonviolent people who, when faced with their death, didn't fight back, or often would embrace it, and and there's a whole lot we could say about like how we relate to suffering and what we understand like the role of suffering to be. And as we've seen, you know, certainly from within within the the Christian world, we've seen how you know, you know, like the like the church, the Christian church, has never been stopped. And I mean, it's had to like shift and take forms and move about, but uh, there's just no killing it. At least not through through violence, through violent means. And what? So wondering what the difference here might be, just might be like the clarity of the clarity of purpose. You know, that the twelfth and they they seem to value you know peace at all costs or at least nonviolence at all costs. And I guess we could, you know, argue like, is peace just the absence of violence or is it the sense of everything is rightly ordered, you know, different than like Orthodox martyrs who they're saying, no, like we have this, you know, specific figure that we're modeling ourselves after. We have this specific hope of growing in holiness. And there's the specific thought of like, and we're embracing our suffering specifically for spiritual gain. And we know how to do that. And we know that that's going on and there's the surety there. And so and I, I think that, I think that, that element changes the, the practice of pacifism because like, I mean, the evil is always going to be there. I mean, evil in our world has always been there, but I think when people, uh, nonviolently resist it with a sense of why, and a sense of tradition, then it does something different than just kind of this like vague kind of global, like, Oh, violence is bad. I'm not going to do it. Other. So the other question is thinking about how, how world building worldview impacts everything. So, so here's this world where like we said, so there, there's the wheel. It's kind of impersonal, but like seems to have kind of a subtle will. There's definitely evil. There's some very good things, but maybe not an absolute good I wonder how we see that that affects like the characters and what they do. And, you know, would you say like any real change or redemption is, is actually possible or, or or I guess, yeah, I mean, what, what does, what does, what does redemption look like in this world? Does it mean becoming an ultimate good or does it just mean like being released from the spinning altogether?
1: As you ask, like, does redemption exist in this world I'm trying to think through character arcs where someone was completely lost and then is redeemed. And it's hard for me to identify a single character that gets completely lost. It's always like characters that are flirting with the darkness that come back or are already on the side of the light. Generally speaking, they go to the other side. Oh, just, I mean, I think it still
0: works though, because I mean, probably, I mean, even in, in real life, there's not, I mean, there's people aren't ever like truly, truly lost. Yeah. I don't know. What, what, what else do you think in there?
1: I, I, I guess the, the couple of themes I'm thinking about is typically a character has to go through some type of death before they have their redemption. So Matt will die and then come back and then Rand will also die and come back. And there's, there's a huge redemption to Matt once he comes back and there's a huge freedom and kind of redemption to Rand once he comes back as well. And so this, this kind of theme that people have to pass through death, Perrin's the only one that doesn't pass through a death and uh, yeah, for, hi, for him to be redeemed kind of and come out as this other more solid person. But I think one of the the true themes that kind of runs through it is that every character suffers and is refined and has to make difficult choices on what they're going to do in light of that suffering and how they're going to respond to that. And that, that refines and um, redeems their character on some level. Yeah, that makes sense. I think about,
2: (laughs) I was thinking about how Perrin, you know, if, if I'm looking at more from the, the, the series, you know, here's a guy who just killed his own wife and then, You know, he he ends up being a single dude living in the woods with wolves. I think that's pretty, you know, I'm becoming kind of um, uh, (laughs) a beastly type of a character. And and I love how, Matt, you're saying he's the avalanche. And I think there is a type of redemption that the the series is trying to show, you know. She's trying to say, it's not your fault. And, you know, is he going to cry? It's like, it's really traumatizing. He's thinking, you know, he's having dreams of of killing. There's a sense of trauma. If you want to talk about redemption, there's a, a traumatic event happened you know trauma as as doc um what was what was a dr Pothin said once was a uh, trauma is a pain that you do not understand and it's different from the pains that we had you know before when when you when you go through hardships like the great depression or something um, at least you understood what was the good and what was the evil you know i'm suffering because we don't have enough food or blah 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 but uh when you have unrecognizable pain it is traumatic and it, it kind of surfaces in our bodies over and over and over so what is more traumatic that you're just living the most peaceful life in the world and all of a sudden a bunch of Trollocks come out of nowhere and start butchering people and you don't know what is left and right? Uh, I mean, even in the beginning of the scene, it's like she's Naini um, is trying to escape and then sees one Trolloc hurt. It's like, oh, no, it's suffering. Is his buddy going to save him? And he's like, no, nope, I'm going to rip your organs out and start eating your your intestines. And she's like, wow, this is really evil. I got to get away from this. And so I, I almost forgot about that scene. but there's almost sense of like, she was supposed to be dead. And then she's kind of, she's, she went from this nice healing wisdom to being like, I'm going to fight to survive, you know? And so I thought there was some redemptions with that. Um, yeah. Like Rand and, and, and Matt dying, you know, uh, I think there's a sort of redemption that probably happens with people who uh, flirt with the taint. I guess you can call it more like you're succumbing to the taint and the taint. Isn't something that should that you can get redeemed from the ice of ice. Once you get tainted, it is a progression. Eventually you're gonna go mad, kill somebody, or kill yourself. And so the red Aja's type of redemption is to kill them or gentle them. Um, but the, the seven Ajas are trying to bring them back to the seat so they can try him as they should. It's almost like they try to just drag anybody who can channel to the White Tower. So if you're a female, you become a novice, start training to be one of them. If you're a male channeler, You're probably going to die or get gentled and then you don't want to live anymore. So it is cool seeing the themes of redemption. If we look at it that way for the children of the light redemption for anybody who channels is death, (laughs) you know um, they're kind of like the great inquisition in a very crazy way. And uh, you know, redemption for the the tankers is through pacifism. Uh, Redemption for a dark friend is to, be more powerful <laughs> uh and, and, and so now i'm starting to think about that and you know in the books yes there is a redemption from the taint um and it's cool to see who actually brings maybe a healing to
0: to that yeah that's really interesting thinking about all the different arcs and i guess in wondering is is the redemption really possible we're in the we really need to establish what, what, what we, what we mean by that. Um, because if, if redemption is just resolving one's conflicts, then like, yeah, they could look a lot of different ways. Or if it's like, like, like Matt was uh, talking about every, everybody suffers. And if redemption is just, I overcome my suffering and I learn something from it, or I, I, I cease to inflict suffering on others. I mean, that's, that, that's another way of looking at it too. Um, you know, both of which are a little, a little bit different than how, you know, we, we in Christendom might, Look at redemption as becoming more Christ-like. And that's um, yet again, even, even, even more specific. So, and I guess, uh, I mean, just like noting the world, the world building, I mean, everybody, like, like these different groups have the different ideas and they're all, they're all playing together. And, and you kind of don't know at this point. That, that, that other theme that you mentioned of redemption through death. I mean, that, I mean, that, that seems to come up a lot or this sense that, people get saved, trouble gets averted through, through death and dying, uh, that does seem pretty pronounced, which again, I mean, there's something, there's like a seed of that, that, you know, definitely shows up in the Christian tradition also, uh, you know, unless, the unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, like it can bring no, bring forth no new life, uh, and, and everything. Uh, but, but again, though, like that, that comes in the context of a specific tradition, a specific narrative and, and when we embrace suffering and embrace death, we kind of know why we're doing it and what spiritual gain we're we're hoping to get. Uh hopefully. If we don't though, then it's just suffering and then it's just chaos and just there there's not really any purpose to it. And so maybe maybe redemption is knowing the purpose for which you die and suffer.
1: I I think if I speak from my own personal experience, in in my own sufferings and the things I've gone through, um, Always in hindsight, Jesus has used them for the good of other people. So very much like uh, the second Corinthians um, are the comfort that we received in our suffering. We then turn and comfort others. Um, Now, did Jesus let me go through those things so that I would be able to comfort others? But that's a more complex question for me. I think when I come to that question... The the answer that I get is um, he hasn't left me alone to face the evils and suffering of this world of this world without having gone through it himself at a much greater degree and then um, overcoming it so that eventually that suffering won't persist um, and I think that's the big. Point for me, as far as the overarching narrative of our world, as I'm looking at wheel of time, I don't know that I see a super coherent narrative around suffering and redemption that i'm, I'm thinking about now. I think eventually the the success is the defeat of the evil one and the breaking out of his influence but you still get the sense that there's still wars between nations. There's still struggles happening and there's no like ultimate defeat of evil. Rather this like coherent, like concentrated point of evil is defeated, but there's still kind of evil and suffering.
0: Um, because the wheel keeps spinning, the wheel will just bring it back. And, you know, we defeated this super hyper focus point of evil and that's cool until three thousand years later when the next one comes along.
2: Well, well, it's even you got me thinking about. I know we're running out of time, but you know, there's there's parallel worlds and and mirror worlds involved. It's a whole other spectrum of Wheel of Time that we're just hitting this one aspect, um, and it even gets into. I think some Terran Griel. You're you can able to utilize these items of the One Power to enter into the mirror worlds or the parallel worlds. Uh, And that's a whole other segment in itself. Um, It was funny because on on the game, it got to the point where the the devs brought the idea that the Dragon Reborn exists in in your wheel or timeline or can, but they also exist in all these other parallel worlds. And that this Dragon Reborn can actually conquer each of these timelines and then eventually get to yours and be like, hey, I'm the Dragon Reborn of all the parallel worlds and I'm uniting all of us to defeat... The dark one in every single parallel world and that's the only way to actually defeat this dark force so now submit to me and you're like you might be the dragon reward of that world but you're not the dragon reward of our world and so we're gonna have all these different like super crazy things going on where it <laughs> it's kind of just showing that that your death isn't your death is almost there isn't like a significant okay congratulations you're done now you have eternal life and you do something in heaven it's almost like you're going to be respawned, whether it's in your specific world or maybe a parallel or a mirror world that exists somewhere else. It's uh, or some waiting pool to be blown by the horn to to come back to battle. So it's pretty. It's it's an interesting world, and and so for redemption, it's like I don't know. You, you just just pop out anywhere almost.
0: <laughs> the uh, parallels between my high school stress trying to play halo with all of the boys and I didn't play video games and they'd grown up playing video games is staggering. And that was remarkably unpleasant for me at that time. (laughs) On that note, we're spinning out of this one. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring us to a close, uh, until next time. And we will definitely come back, talk characters and themes and, Trollocs and religion and all of the things thank you listener for being with us uh please do rate the show and review it nicely and share it around and that helps us a lot and matt and aaron thanks for being here and we'll see y'all next week with two more episodes two more what what, one more episode of us talking about two more episodes of the show y'all knew what i meant anyway goodbye Mm -hmm. is the podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares, or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Bernabe. Moses Bernabe can be found at mosesbernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd with additional development by Moses Bernabei. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by breakfast puppies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
2: Well, did you re- did you watch the three minute episodes? Kind of those
0: prologue ones? I didn't. I, I, I got to one of them because it was like one in the morning when I did it. Those are cool. The animation was really fun. And yeah, I it did, it yeah. did explain some things more. So.
2: Yeah. Catch up on some of those. They're, they're pretty, they kind of tell different parts of the, the stories that you won't get in the main series. I'll have to yes. check them out. They're only three yeah. minutes. Well, they're like a minute and a half or two. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. They're not, they're not so bad. I'm also finding too, I mean, goofy as it is, like like the, the Amazon Prime like comments that they put uh on the sidebar, that those are kind of helpful too. At least like when it's like, here's this new character. is hella helpful. I really like it. Yeah, it refreshed me.
2: <laughs> Even the trivia, is like fun fact. And then you can jump to the scene where they, they kinda mentioned that little
1: snippet. So I was like, That's cool. So yeah, it does that too.
0: Yeah. Or looks like me who have no context. So purely appropriating all of this material for my own enjoyment. Maybe I'll maybe read this books. Perfect. Maybe I will procure the first one when Ruben's like 15 or 14 or something and just like leave it somewhere for him to find and then see what he does with it.